Hi there! Welcome back to another episode of the Slam Richmond Podcast. I'm your host, January Garcia. On this month's episode, we have a lineup of women and non-binary poets, including a newcomer Tamara, regular Little Val with a love poem for Pride Month, and our feature for the month, a cupsy, button poetry, eye whips, and NPS contender, Pressman. But first up are two poems from last month's Poetry Slam, where a student from Goochland High School competed with two comedy poems under the stage name of Ellen Degenerate. Let's have a listen to Ellen Degenerate. Thank you to the brave Ellen Degenerate for your words and contending in our poetry slam. Next up, we would like to introduce you to Tamara Myrick, who showed up to our venue for the first time to give us a moving poem about family. Here's Tamara. My father used to sing to me, smooth and soft the sweet honey sticking to my bones and dripping onto everything around me, so beautiful it was almost my first memory. Until my mother rose like a white flag under his necklace hands and he watched her cry like it was a victory trumpet. I ran back to my bed to be crystallized in the part of him that loved me. Soon, the songs just sounded like excuses or an undercooked apology or something that made mom feel better kissing us goodnight with a busted lip. I can't tell you how long it took me to feel her fear for the first time. Does he? Maybe he remembers the first time I fought back and he concluded that was the feeling he'd been chasing all along. Maybe when he was struggling to be exceptional in anything, he got addicted to feeling powerful over something, someone. Sometimes I wonder if these marks and bruises he put on me were him drawing a map of all the places he hurt. Like every time he saw them, they called out, good to see you again. Maybe he felt alone too. Does my silence hug his when we have nothing to say? Have our shadows forgotten? My skin pushes him away a little less now. How very hard it is to forgive the hands that built you. I'm trying so hard to recall that feeling of him tickling my toes instead of dragging my body, singing the high notes he couldn't instead of crying for a home outside of me. 
to love myself is to love parts of him, and I'm trying every day to solve those equations without being given a textbook. And I intend to sing these songs to my child one day, just to watch them bloom with new memories. Thank you, Tamara. You're welcome back anytime. Next on deck is Lil Val, who surprised us with a brand new slam poem in a poem they wrote earlier that day about their partner. A love poem is pretty rare for Lil Val, but they explained that they lost a bet. I hope you enjoy Lil Val. to drink rosé, almost passed out after the second sip, tried to smoke weed, still giggle the same, coughing in between the giggles, tried to walk without my bones cracking and aching and popping and loosening and falling apart, tried to blow out candles, miss, tried to find the perfect pitch in the song, get lost in the neighborhood instead, tried to find out where the last year went, tried to find her in my crow's feet, tried to find her in the extra 15 pounds, Look for the next year, look into the mirror, try to find myself among the party, try to find myself by family, only find money and money and money, try to find a confusion, try to find the time I need and it's gone. Taking a train out of town, won't come back until next year. Ruminations on medication. She took me sex drive and all and gave me this life of questioning and finally having questions for my therapist who happens to be a sex expert. She took me, this unwilling force of nature, and made my brain fog disappear, say, poof. Say, I will change out cluelessness for boldness. Say, everyone around me says I should be on less medication anyways. And somehow, I was given a sex drive and some fingers and Pornhub and a clear history button. Googling what to put where, buying a vibrator online from a feminist, sex-positive capitalist, a corporation taking twiddling thumbs and putting them to, to, to work, too. She took me daydreaming nightmare I have become and queer-eyed me. She took those memories I have of former lovers and of mothers and called me baby instead, told me to finally see that show I always wanted to see, told me that the sun shines in recovery land, told me a high blood pressure medicine used off-label for PTSD should work and started living. He took me, pulsing man running up and down my body, gave me a hangover and some extra pounds. He took me for a year, asked me, what side of the bed do you sleep on, and gave me my normal side. He took me, dad bought and all, and asked about my dreams. Who abused me last and how, and where, and he leaned to my view, but is there always rainy weather where you were staring? And I say yes. Say, everyone was lying about a golden hour. Say goodnight, I'll see you in the morning, and the weather gets better. Four, she took me, told me to snap out of this fucking daydream that everything is okay when you get put on medication. I can feel her, and my legs in the morning feel her, and my lungs, heart beat faster, heart beat slower, heart stops for a second, heart screams for a second, then wakes up, lets the dogs out and makes tea before realizing her abuser is still alive, either in their hospital or a classroom or somewhere in Florida. I am still not sure. They still haunt me, and medication cannot change that fact. I go to sleep, remembering they are all still in my blood. 
my back still hurts. I can still stay awake on Ambien. My, pain atta- my panic attacks loom in the darkness. I can still feel her warmth and coldness welcoming the nightmares in. She kisses me in my driveway or in my laundry room, and she holds my hand in the car and dog pants behind us, worrying about something, and I live for these moments. The heart-tangling, bone-shaking moment of being in the presence of someone else who likes you, who like likes you, who teaches you how to take care of yourself, who reminds you how to take care of yourself, who is the rainbow in your dreams, who reminds you in the morning that you are still alive, still alive and kicking. When everyone told you that you wouldn't find love, live alone, do anything on your own, she hugs me. My life is returned to normal. She is the revival medicine that we all need. She hugs me, and my life is returned to normal. Today is the start of Pride Month. Today is the start of holding your hand and saying, God damn, did I get so lucky. Sorry, little Val, but now we've got proof that sometimes you write love poems. And now it's time for a featured poet, a spoken word artist by the name of Pressman, who we first met as a leader of VCU's consistently dominant Cupsy team, who's gone on to feature a place in button poetry right about now in just about every slam poetry competition you can think of. We heard poems from them about sex work and identity, about abortion and family and Trump, and they even ended their set with a joke for us. We were so lucky to have Pressmen at our feature, and I hope you enjoy their poems. The first time I go to my white grandfather's house, I stare at the deer head mounted on the wall She is the only other brown thing in the room, teaching me how to be one of the good ones. Open-mouthed, unbreathing, pretty brown thing with no fight left. I laugh at all of his jokes, and I can hear all the traitor inside my own chest. I stay quiet when he talks about hunting. Stay quiet when he talks about immigrants, Muslims, queers, as if I am not one of them, as if I am not all of them, as if my silence can buy me safety, I know who my grandfather voted for. I know who his bullets are for. How long will it be before I become one of his trophies? I wonder if I already am one. I wince each time he brags about a new kill, dragging another bleeding brown body into this house, but sometimes at night, I catch him staring into the deer's eyes. He looks guilty, like he knows what he's done, like he can still feel the blood warm on his hands, and he tells her severed head that he is sorry, promises that he is one of the good ones. The day after the election, my city felt like hunting season. I walked into class, and a boy who I shared a desk with all year set a red hat at my seat with a promise to make the forest great again, and it felt like a bullseye on my chest, but same hat my grandpa wears. He asks me 
meet him halfway, to reach across the aisle, to walk over dead bodies that look just like me and call that compromise. You know, sometimes at night I look in the mirror and my grandpa stares back. He looks guilty. He knows what he's done. He still has my blood warm on his hands, but he holds my face, tells me that I am safe, promises that I am one of the good ones. One, it's my dad's 40th and I'm 10 years old. He laughs when I wish him a happy birthday, says he didn't think he'd be alive this long. I ask him why he says that, and he doesn't give me an answer. Two, we're at Grandpa Ray's funeral. My uncle speaks, starts crying when he says he was my dad. I hear some echo of my future in his mouth. Three, dad collapses on the stairs. I don't know how to explain that kind of horror the kind where you see the cracks in the concrete foundation, when you live on the seventh floor of an apartment and feel the earthquake still. His fingers are shaking and I'm shaking and he's in the hospital for a few days and he can't hold anything and neither can I and we are both dropping mugs and nearly stepping on all the broken pieces. I can't even fit my fingers around an apple and he can't hold that either. Four, I'm 13 and I'm getting my first HPV shot. I'm 13 and I'm too old to be reaching for my father's hand but I do it anyway. He stays on the other side of the room. I panic as the needle comes closer and he still doesn't take my hand and when I am about to start crying, I realize it's over. The needle pulls out of my arm. Five, we're apple picking. He's carrying a basket filled to the brim like it's nothing, like that weight doesn't exist, but I know about his cuff and his nerves and his mortality and I wonder how much hurt he pretends isn't there while he is still here. He takes my basket too. This is called Crab Apple on 36th. I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm a tree. I can't fucking talk. Even my breathing is closed-mouthed and silent. You try standing here for 80 years, planted on the corner of Lee and 36th. My roots have grown under the sidewalk and the Horowitz's picket fence. I ruined those concrete squares and Esther's rosebush. It's the loudest I've ever been. These people, rich as sin, white as mold, could pay to cut me down with pocket change, and yet I'm still standing. A man hung himself from my arm just before dawn, and right above his head a whole nest of robins hatched, aching and naked and crying all their mouths open. When they cut him down, the nest fell too, mouths still open, Still screaming. I've never been so jealous. Stripped. I get off the stage and a customer tips me and tells me that he loves my breasts. And I say, thanks, because after four years of this job, it's still a weird compliment to get from a stranger. I don't tell him how I'm saving up to cut them off. I don't know how to thank someone for loving a body I do not want. I misgender myself for money. Smile when he calls me she. Sip the cocktail to mask the taste of blood in my mouth. He runs a hand up my thigh. Says I am a beautiful girl. Says I am a girl. He grins. 
and I watch him turn into animal, meaning man. I've never been so jealous. My high school bully walks into the strip club as I am on stage, fully nude, and this is not the first time I felt naked around him, so imagine my surprise when he doesn't recognize me. I no longer have braces. I am all bared teeth. I have lost the flat chest of childhood, my hips grown wide like the woman I've never been, and maybe it is this that makes him lick his lips. I am a different feast than I once was, but he's still the animal I have always known him to be. I make him rain his rent on my naked body, and I hold the word payback behind my teeth. My rapist walks into the strip club two weeks after he made a meal of me, and this is the part where I wish I could tell you I was unbothered, that I took all his money, that I danced like my body was still mine, but I didn't. I ran into the back room and hid, and I think this is how my breasts must feel every day when I put on my binder, flattened, out of breath, wishing themselves away, but I don't cry, and maybe that's how I knew I was never a girl. My mother is so honest with all her emotions, but I process trauma like, like my father becomes stone, gritted teeth, wear my PTSD like he wore his dog tag under his shirt, hidden away, and isn't that the most masculine thing? to pretend that bravery is just the absence of emotion, to hide your trauma from everyone and call that manhood. But that's the thing about this job. I have nowhere to hide when I am naked. This poem is called Canary Sing, but I don't. <laughs> A woman asks me to say something in my language. She doesn't even know the name of it. She says anything. Say anything. I know she's lying. I know what she wants to hear. The bells and back-bent hands of court dancers, banyan trees and bent-over screams, just make it pretty, she tells me. I like to daydream of going to your home. I want to see everything you left behind. I want to put it all in my mouth and spit out the bones but her mouth has no magic like mine. So she asks me again, anything, say anything, but all I can give is this bloodied sea foam. I spit the salt at her feet, watch the ocean, my language drowned in, take her too. It fills her mouth and dulls her tongue, robs her of speech and home like it did to me. And as I watch her drown, I dare her to sing. During pregnancy, a fog tends to fall over the brain. A lot of folks keep journals so that they don't forget any of it. The memories of my own pregnancy come in flashes. My stomach, the swamp, couldn't smell eggs without gagging, that's the thing. I thought I never threw up. I thought that if I never threw up that it couldn't be morning sickness, so I couldn't possibly be pregnant because denial is a hell of a drug. I remember calling him on the toilet. I remember him not picking up. I remember a lot of crying. I remember going to the Planned Parenthood in an Uber. I remember the book I brought with me, Ada Limon, Sharks in the River. I remember the laws in Virginia, anyone seeking an abortion must at least 24 hours prior undergo a transvaginal ultrasound. I remember how cold it was when they put the speculum inside me. The state-sanctioned assaults, my toes, 
curled up and screaming, my hands holding the book above my face, shaking, reading the same lines over and over. I say something to God, but he's not a living thing. I say something to God, but he's not a living thing. The nurse saying, if you can't take this, how do you expect to take the vacuum? I say something to God, but he's not a living thing. In the state of Virginia, the law requires that the patient views the ultrasound. I remember holding your photo in my hands. You looked so small. I just kept saying they look like a lentil, a little bead of light against a vast, dark sky, a little star, the farthest kind of fire. I knew in that moment that I loved you. I knew in that moment that I could not bring you into this world. I want to ask for your forgiveness, but I don't know how. I remember my friends telling me I have nothing to weep over, nothing to mourn, and the nothing is what really gets me. The nothing makes me a fruitless tree, all fallen flowers. My arms are full of empty. I say something to God, but he's not a living thing. I say something to you, but you're not a living thing, and maybe I'm not allowed to mourn a loss that I chose. But I remember the first dream I had after the abortion. In it, I was ready. I held you in my arms. Your eyes were dark in mine, and your name spilled out of my mouth as I told you how in Bahasa, we never say tira, only balum. We never say no, only not yet. We have no interest in sharing our scars. We never name our ghosts to each other. I have no need for the bullets in his body. He has no need for the hands that took mine. Look how ambitious our shadows have become. They grow so long behind our fire-facing bodies. Watch them goliath into towers, and here we are. Such small Davids, holding these tiny stones and hoping they hurt right holding these tiny jokes and hoping they hurt right, how easy we bury our bones with laughter. A dark joke in the turned soil. And isn't that all our people know? My dad and I name our scars under wheezing chuckles, with brass knuckle punchlines, with teeth-sucking bitterness, say, this isn't a bleeding sore, just a weird-looking kiss from fate, say, that isn't the demon, just the faces of men that we pretend we've forgotten, say, this is not a razor, just a one-way ticket off earth, and as we stare at our festering wounds and the ghosts that ooze out of them, we do not ask for help. We ask for a butcher's knife, chop off what's been damaged, and laugh, showing each other what a mess we've made before we reach for the cleaning rags, still dripping red and warm from the last time. We did not talk about it. Bellyache. April 2016. A commuting woman in Nanjing, China, notices a man in the subway car using a hidden camera to take upskirt shots. In less than a minute, she exposes him and forces him to eat the SD card. I am the act of feeding, forcing the images down your throat, 
this feminine alchemy. You see me as food, after all, to be consumed. But I make you swallow. Ain't that a role reversal? Ain't that what you wanted? To eat me out? But my body becomes bellyache. I grab your guts from the inside, make you double over the way you wished me to be. Bent over. You should have known better. Now, every time you so much as look at a skirt, your intestines will twist in my hands as you realize that your eyes have always been so much bigger than your stomach. After Cecily Schuyler, on faith. Multiple choice. My faith is A, a ghost. B, hopeful. C, hungry. D, unholy. E, a child. F, yearning. G, empty-handed. My faith is a broken haiku. A ghost, hopeful and hungry, an unholy child, yearns, empty-handed. Eat your heart out. So uh, stop me if you've heard this one. A man walks into a bar, tells me he's got yellow fever, says, he likes his girls small, pale, likes them in the palm of his hand, silk women he can fold and shove in his pocket after he's done using them. He then says that I don't look Asian. Says that I take up too much space. Says I'd look it if I lost some weight. And I laugh, because he's laughing. It's got to be a joke, right? Fill my mouth with punchlines instead of food. I am all full with funny Asian kid with anorexia. Ha ha. Because it's only an eating disorder if the person is white. Ha ha. Asians are supposed to be chopstick thin. China, breakable, rice paper skin. Ha ha. My doctor wasn't laughing when I told him the same jokes. Uh, he told me that my heartbeat had dropped uh, to 30 beats per minute. So I did more math, Asian jokes. More than twice as likely to have a cardiac event. Heart palpitations will occur one to three times daily. If, if I continue to eat 200 calories a day, I will be at my goal weight. But if I continue to eat 200 calories a day, I will be dead. I mean pretty, I mean docile, I mean fit for consumption, right for the taking, small enough to fit on your plate. I mean Asian, enough for your fetish. And when this kills me, I hope they bury me in a kabaya, wrap the loving batik around the hips I hated, tuck the jasmines in hair that hasn't fallen out yet. I want to be the prettiest meal at my funeral. And I hope the man from the bar comes. Hope he laughs about how fobby I look, calls me a gook when he sees my bone-stretched skin and my ghost will fold themselves in his pocket like a knife in the silk, bury my blade in his chest, and as he bleeds out, I will rip open his ribcage and ask if I take up too much space now, and I will bite into his bleeding heart, and I will eat, and I will eat, and I will eat. So uh, I, I'm going to um, close this off with a cool, fun, little joke, because I want to end on a note that doesn't make people sad. 
So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, if you have trouble with they, them pronouns, just imagine I have a little mouse in my pocket and you have to refer to both of us at all times. Uh, and uh, if you don't refer to both of us at all times, then the mouse will tell all their other mice friends and like they'll all go to your house and it'll be a mess. It'll be terrible. Anyways, my name is Pressman. If you guys want to talk to me after the show, I have merch. Thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys later. Folks, that was the amazing Pressman, and that is also our show. A special thanks to Ellen DeGenerate from Goochland High, to Tamara Myrick and Little Val, and to this month's feature, Pressman. Another amazing show, y'all. If you'd like to take part in the show, be it performer or listener, please join us every first Saturday of the month in Studio 59, Plant Zero, Richmond, Virginia. Our writing workshop begins at 5.30 p.m., the open mic and artist feature at 8.30 p.m. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and our new Facebook page, all at Slam Richmond, and feel free to share, subscribe, and leave a comment on our show. So until next time, Slam fam, keep on writing the good right. <laughs>